Welcome back to Kings of the North. Doug Lamaris and Bill Landis. Landis, we are laying foundations here. We got to tell the people we had a work meeting. Oh, the plans we have for Kings. Oh, if you're here now, you're in on the ground floor. Welcome. This is like, it's not an, I, it's an IP. I get IP and IPA mixed up. One's a beer, one's a stock. This is like if we were a stock, or I guess we could be a beer. One but, I, IPO is a stock, I believe. IPO. What's IP? That's intellectual property. Intellectual property. Oh, you want some of that here too? You want some of this intellectual property? IPO. Right. We're good. This stuff is a percolating, Landis. Did we not? Do we not have plans? Do we not have plans? We have. We have some. Some might say grand plans. I would say. Yeah. So we want to, but we're laying the foundation here on Kings of the North in a lot of ways. And we just, we could not be more grateful that you're here with us. But one of the ways that we're laying the foundation is to make sure that the college football world, you, people in the South, players, coaches, fans, everybody, that everybody knows that the South is not the epicenter of college football. There's one way in which the South is the epicenter of college football. There are more good players there. It's just the way it works. That's fine. But everything else in terms of schools and coaches and fan bases and everything else, and then all you got to do is get some of those players in the South to come play North and you're good to go, which is we're going to bang that drum a lot. Hey, North, go down there and find some good players and tell them why coming North is a good idea for three, four, five, six years. But we are doing a coaching show here, Landis, where we're going to draft the 20 best coaches in college football right now, not just in the North, but then we're going to look at where those coaches are from. And I have all the information on the hometowns, the colleges attended by the coaches in the power 68. And we have a point to make, right? Because as people know right now, there's 68 teams at the highest level of college football. We claim 26 of them in the North. So that means there's 42 that we don't claim as the North. So then you would think, all right, well, if they're doing it that way, then maybe there should be like 42 coaches from non-North areas who are head coaches, and 26 from northern areas who are head coaches. Those aren't the numbers, Landis. They're not the numbers. They're we're not just, the numbers. We don't. <laughs> maybe you know it. Maybe you know it, and we're hitting you across the face with a two-by-four, and you're like, I get it already. Or maybe you don't know it. But this is a foundational offseason to just remind, maybe either inform or remind that this sport is national, and it is not centered in the south in every other aspect and that includes where coaches come from you know you say people might know it and and i'm sure that, that some people will i've covered college football professionally for a decade and i was surprised by the numbers um mm-hmm. and i like we i think we know of some rather famous coaches who did very well in the south who were of the north but the i, mean, I don't want to spoil it but the the numbers did surprise me quite a bit which i think we'll we'll get to the point that you just laid out for the people so we're going to draft the best coaches. Then we're going to talk about where they're from. And then we're going to talk about some coaches we would like to see in the future in the North that aren't there right now, whether they're head coaches in the South, whether they are lower level head coaches, whether they are assistants, whether they are just somewhere else in life. We would like to see them in the North. Just like a year ago, you may have said, man, I'd love to see Fran Brown, who has New Jersey roots, but is a position coach at Georgia. I'd love to see him in the North sometime like that's an example of what we're thinking about you got to bring those northern coaches home man because a lot of them are born and born and raised up Mm -hmm. here in the north so let's start off by talking about two sons of the north who are no longer head coaches in college football and that's jim harbaugh 
and Nick Saban. And as we think about Landis, their departures, one to retirement and one to the NFL, Jim Harbaugh born in Toledo, Nick Saban born and raised in West Virginia, spent first 15 years of his coaching life in Ohio. Are these two of the three best coaches in college football that we just lost in the sport? Yeah, and it's and it's not it's not just because they're the other two that would have had national championship or two of the four, I guess, right? That would have would have had national championships uh, on their on their resume. Um, like they won a lot of games, they did it at a high level. Like cer- certainly Nick Saban, but it, like even Jim Harbaugh, I think, had elevated himself to that to that status in the sport. And I think you know we're going to do this exercise here in a few minutes, or we draft the the top twenty coaches. Of the remaining coaches in college football, no, number one, I think, is probably obvious as, as we move forward. Um, and I think that these two would have been two and three, or maybe Nick Saban would have even been one if you wanted to pay pay deference to um, his longevity of, of success. So, yes, I think college football with this offseason has lost two of the top three coaches in the sport. How much do you believe the sport's in a transition right now? And I know, as people know, you and I do an Ohio State show as well. Like for Ohio State, somebody was pointing out, like, hey, when you lose Saban as a national contender, you lose Michigan as the rival and the thorn in Ohio State side. Man, this is like a, a transitional offseason for Ohio State. It's really a transitional offseason for the entire sport because you're losing the national championship coach who revived a national power in the North. And you're, I mean, it's really, it's like, what are you losing? You're losing the current champ and the best ever. Yep. And so many coaches, and and I do think, like I think Dabo Sweeney's part of the conversation here because you have a legend of the sport who's a multi-time national champ who seemingly has not adjusted to the modern realities of the sport. And I don't think anybody would rank right now as one of the two or three best coaches in the sport. Maybe well, I don't want to cut your legs out from under you. Oh, I can just see your your face drop. It's like oh, oh no, man, I, wasn't. I was going to take wasn't. Dabo too. I definitely wasn't. It's okay. Oh man, <laughs> I wanted to take Dabo. Oh man, you ruined it. I'm going to take Dabo 11th because that's where he ranked Ohio State in the coaches poll <laughs> before Ohio State beat him in the Sugar Bowl. I'm down to rank him. I'm, I'm down to rank him 11th. Whoever has the 11th pick, <laughs> do not take him before then, and make sure you take him at 11. We'll just do it for the viral video. Oh, but like when you consider that, right? Like, like the the kind, and then it's like, oh, well, who has a national champ among active coaches? Like, well, Mac Brown has one, but like Mac Brown is certainly way, way, way on the backside of his career. Yeah, there are coaches who people think are good coaches, but have not maybe won at the highest level because they're kind of at mid tier programs that they're elevating, and there are some people at the highest level at the big time programs who haven't really one hugely there it is a weird time everybody does these lists in the offseason but it's not that we're out of people to rank it's not that we can't come up with 20 but once again it's like i don't know really how to tell number three from number 17 right i yes i think that's right and i think like you can come up with you know 10 different versions of number two through number 10 that I probably could f- find a way to agree with. Like there's, there's just not a, there's not a whole lot of separation, I think. And, and, and it, it depends on your criteria, right? If you're just going by like pure winning percentage or, or give yourself that kind of hard criteria, then, then I suppose it is a little easier, but we're not, we're not quite doing that. Um, so if you're not doing that and it's a little more subjective, then yeah, there's, I mean, there's any number of guys I think you could rank number two. And that certainly wasn't the case a, a year ago. And, and, 
I don't know that there's a ton of difference between two and like 13. I guess we'll see how we feel when we go through it, but there's, there's that there's like coaching parody, I guess. But then there's also the question of like, okay, the best to ever do it is gone. The guy who just coached the current champs is gone in a way that I, that I think is perhaps going to impact that program more so than maybe we even thought initially, maybe we can have further discussion about that at some other time. So there's like a void there too. And even if you expect like Georgia and Ohio state are going to be there, like there, there is space to fill for other coaches to kind of like rise up these rankings, which I think is really interesting. It is hard because I think even when you think about some of the risers, and I don't want to give away the draft, but people know who's like in contention here, like Ryan Day at Ohio State has sure won a lot, but actually has been defined in the last couple of years more by what he hasn't won. Sure. Lincoln Riley was at the very near the top of all these lists for a long time. They had a terrible year at USC, and he was late to fire the defensive coordinator, and he wasted the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, and they brought in all these transfers, and it didn't really work. And and I don't certainly I would imagine Lincoln Riley is not viewed the way he was maybe going into his final year at Oklahoma right before it fell apart there. And then he went to USC and it's like, oh man, they, this guy went to USC. What do you like? What do you rank Lincoln Riley now? Even the fact that we are talking about this Kalen DeBoer, it's, I'm in a, it's hard for me trying to rank Kalen DeBoer as a guy who took Washington to the national title game. I don't love the fit of Kalen DeBoer at Alabama. He got the best job, but I almost think I would rank Kalen DeBoer at Washington higher than I would rank Kalen DeBoer at Alabama. Yeah. So there are so and like Mike Norvell did a great job at Florida State, but I don't like I don't like where do you, where do you put Mike Norvell now? And James Franklin has been at Penn State a long time, but again, he's as defined by what he hasn't done by as what he he has done. So it is a um, I'll be curious where our draft goes, but the point the point is to not have the best draft in the country, the most in depth draft of the best twenty coaches. It's to talk about the best dudes and then talk about where they're from. Yeah, because really, it's a geography show. That's right. Well, yeah, it's not a college football show; it's a geography show. We, we, we. Someone uh, I saw on the X machine on the old Twitterverse, somebody said, "Like, hey, we're having a discussion about." I'm like writing about Missouri. Is Missouri a midwestern state or a southern state? And uh, and they had a survey, and I like retweeted that from Kings of the North. I was like, "Hey, like, this is what we're doing here. We're talking about do we add Missouri into our thing?" And then a geography professor jumped in and was like, "Hey, like geography, man, this is what you do. There's no right answer." And I was like, "Do you want to come on the show and talk about geography?" And like, this is 21% a geography show. Do you want to do a draft? Let's do a draft. All right, I'll take Kirby Smart first so oh. that I can say this. <laughs> Dog mentality, which we would like to catch on. I almost bought a dog hat over the weekend. I'm going to buy a dog hat. You don't, you're not wearing your shirt. I thought you'd wear your shirt. I know. I have a dog mentality shirt. We have shirts. I can't. We can't. The number of things that are coming will blow your minds. Please stay with us. Please spread the word. But the reason that I want to talk, that I wanted, I wanted to be the person to draft Kirby Smart is not to say dog mentality, which I said twice now, three times dog mentality, but it's to remind people that Kirby Smart oversaw a program where a player died. And it still remains something that I think wasn't talked enough about a player was killed in a drunk driving accident with a staffer who was also killed at the wheel in a car that was part of the university and i'm not saying that like he's personally responsible for it but it remains something that i think got swept under the rug and it remains something when you talk about the culture of georgia and that program and and 
my in-person exposure to Kirby Smart at the semifinal two years ago, I was very impressed by like how he ran things and just like how involved he was in every aspect of things. And clearly he had his hands on the defense, but he was absolutely a CEO culture coach. But you can't get away from that. It, it remains something that I don't know why the best program in college football with the guy that we're picking number one, why that is just not more part of the discussion there. I certainly am not convinced that everything around Georgia that helped lead to the death of a player, the death of a player on the active roster. I don't know for sure that like all the things that were in place that helped lead to that have been fixed. So that remains something that I just want to put at the front Maybe not the, not the front every day, not 365 days a year. But if you're talking about, hey, I'd hire that guy. It's like one of these things, right? You have a news conference, say, hey, what about this? And the people in charge are like, hey, we talked about that too. If you were going to hire Kirby Smart, you would talk about that. If you're a member of the board of trustees or a university president, you would talk about that a lot. And if you were going to make a move, because one of the ways we decided to catch this bill is when there was just a huge opening in the North. So as we draft this, it's like, I always think of it as good program X, and you're hiring somebody to lead your program for the next five to seven years. It's not about coach somebody else's roster. It's not one year. It's not 50 years. We're not excluding older coaches, but it's all that's involved with being a head coach, building a roster, hiring staff, coaching that roster. So if I was about to hire Kirby Smart, this I would have the first 70% of the interview about this topic. Because I would believe that most of the other things he has in line. So if we're going to draft the number one, I thought it needs to be mentioned. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. It's interesting to me not not to continue necessarily down this road too far, but like DJ Durkin just got hired as a defensive coordinator at Auburn, and like a player died at Maryland under DJ Durkin's watch when he was the head coach there, and like that has that has rightfully followed him, not in a way that's kept him from getting jobs, um, but like every time he gets hired, it gets brought up. Um, and it doesn't for Kirby Smart, which and, and I guess there are like different circumstances. Like player at Maryland, um, you know that was that was related to workouts on the field, and obviously what happened to Georgia wasn't. Um, but either way, it's like under the purview of the head coach, and it happened with university personnel with university property, um, and it doesn't stick to Kirby in, in the same way. And I'm not I'm not necessarily saying that it should in terms of like like legality and stuff like that, but. In terms of like the discussion about his tenure there, like yeah, I think I think that's part of it. It's certainly something worth talking about. And if we were in this position as as we are pretending to hire a coach for program X, um, that should be an important part of the conversation. By the way, where do they keep hiring DJ Durkin? The SEC is it in the north. Is it in the north? Is it no, in the north? It is not is it in the north. No. Oh, in the north. In the north. Not that Maryland handled it perfectly, but in the north it happened, and he got fired. And in the south, he gets hired. We're just saying sometimes there's differences. Okay. Kirby Smart runs a good program, understands the reality of the modern college football program, I think, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, coach recruits great, coaches his guys up, wins national titles. He's number one. All right, number two to you. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, passing off the incredibly difficult decision to me. Um, can I ask for some parameters here before I make a pick? I was just say, could I ask for a break? Can I get yeah. a 10 minute break? Can, can we pause the clock? <laughs> yeah, param away. Um, so. Should I just pretend that I'm like hiring for Michigan, which is to say like a program that has just won a national championship and wants to compete at that level? Or am I just hiring a person who I think is a good football coach? 
or drafting a person who I think is a good football coach. I, I think it's fair to think like that again. I don't like not draft somebody because they wouldn't be a cultural fit at Michigan <clears> specifically, but in terms of like goals as a program generally, I think that's fair to think of. And so, because I think if you thought, well, I think this guy's a great coach, I just don't think he could win a national title, then actually anybody that you think can win a national title, I think should be drafted ahead of that person. Okay. So right. I think Michigan standard, not Michigan specifically. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to take, I'm going to take Ryan day. I'm going to take Ryan day. Wow. Okay. Ryan day. We are not here to litigate every choice. Why Ryan day, except for this one. <laughs> well, like I understand, like, yes, he is not, he is more, more known recently for what he has not accomplished, which I think is, is fair and right and worth mentioning. I think it's like mostly a Michigan conversation because like they still got to the playoff two years ago and like almost beat Georgia. Um, he's won a playoff game. He's gotten to a national championship. He wins a whole heck of a lot more than he loses. Um, and honestly, like the rest of the field just isn't that inspiring. Like I don't like I wouldn't have picked Ryan Day over Nick Saban and Jim Harbaugh. I don't think I would have picked Ryan Day over Debo Swinney four years ago. Um but I don't know if there's like anyone out there. There, there are people out there who I think are really good football coaches who are going to draft. But like when I think of that that parameter that I asked you for, like we're trying to win a national championship. Like who understands everything that goes into that? And it's it's partly luck of the draw, just based off where Ryan Day got to start his head coaching career at Ohio State. But like I think he has that. And while he has struggled to beat Michigan in the last three years, I don't know that I view him as a coach that has a ceiling like a, a ceiling that says like he can't ever get over that hump. So that's why I'm picking him here. But it's, it's honestly, it's, it's probably a little more about the field than it is Ryan day. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. He was in my top five. And actually now the case you made, I'm wondering why I didn't have him higher. And part of it is right. He's sort of like right in the middle now after what is it? Five years. He's done this 19, 20, 22, 23 mm-hmm. entering year six. Because I had a guy number two on my list who's much less has less tenure than Ryan Day, but therefore has not had as many opportunities to maybe fall short. But also, by the way, he fell short in the two games that mattered this year. But I still had him number two on my list. So now I'm asking myself, why did I? Why is that? Because I had I had people I had somebody had a Ryan Day with much more experience, and somebody had a Ryan Day with less experience. So I'll take Dan Lanning third, and I'll okay. admit that I had him second on my list. And now that you, uh, Dan Lanning, who played two games that matter and lost them both to Washington. So like, what, what's like, if it's like, oh, Ryan Day can't, can't beat Michigan. It's like, well, at least he didn't lose to him twice in the same year, Dan Lanning. And Dan Lanning has never beaten Washington in three tries. Okay. I stand corrected on my list. (laughs) I yield to your list. But do you believe Dan Lanning belongs in the top five? Yeah, especially because I think there's there's a and I believe it too. Like there's like I think Dan Lanning knows how a national championship program needs to be built, and he is building Oregon in in that fashion. Um, like on on field in game chops, not not bad. Like certainly not bad, but like some I don't know some uh, some decisions that I think have cost him perhaps a couple of games that would have drastically changed the trajectory of their season this past year. So let me um, give you yeah, a comparison for Dan Lanning. Let me ask. It's another Dan. Yeah. Dan Campbell. Uh, yeah. Similar. Uh, they approach games similarly. Yes. Which I'm like, I, I actually am in favor of like just generally not tying it to any like kind of team. Like I want an aggressive head coach, but it has 
probably it, it bit Dan Lanning in a couple of key spots that kept the bit him right the goals. Right and I'm not saying that Dan Dan Lanning Dan Lanning has not said he will bite your kneecaps, but I I bet you given the opportunity he would. Yeah, and he would also go for it on fourth down. Yeah. Okay. All right. I might have had Dan Lanning too high. Who's taking fourth? I almost feel like there's a there's like there's like Kirby, and then there's like who do you think understands championship infrastructure? And I think that is like Ryan Day and Dan Lanning, and then I think we're on like to a third tier now, which is like kind of getting into like good ball coach. Just okay. Like, where do you think you're going to put him? Um, so I'm going to go Kyle Whittingham. Yeah, you are. We love Kyle Whittingham. I had of third. Utah. Of, of, I'm third. Yeah. He'll be an interesting guy to, to monitor as like other outlets go through this exercise in a world where Nick Saban and Jim Harbaugh are gone. And I think there's a, there's a lot of runway to like rethink how you're putting these lists together. Um, I'm curious to see where Kyle Whittingham ends up. Cause I think he's always sort of top 10, but like, is he going to creep into the top five now? So this is the specifics of like, as we try to think about the Michigan opening, all right, Ryan day at Michigan, he's like, Oh, Michigan's not going to hire the Ohio State head coach. If Michigan had hired Dan Lanning, what would you do? You would have been like, dang, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If yeah. Michigan had hired Kyle Whittingham, what would you do? You'd dang. be like, dang, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. So the dang factor. Yep. What's your what's your Wolverine dang factor? I like that. And so <laughs> once we got past, and frankly, if they had hired Kirby, I mean, if, if Michigan had hired Kirby Smart, we would have done 10 emergency podcasts, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. like that's a double dang. That's a dog mentality. Dang. That's a dang mentality. That's dang dog mentality. <laughs> so I draft five. You draft five. five. Uh-huh. So, so we have the experience here. Was this a dang? I just, I can't, I'll take Kalen DeBoer, Washington coach now at Alabama. It's just completely thrown off my world. I just don't think he's right for it for Alabama, but I if, they, if he had gone to Michigan, I think I'd say I think I'd say dang, but I think I would say a little less dang than Landing and Whittingham. So yeah, I mean he's only won like ninety uh, percent of his games. <laughs> I know, I know, and everybody's like, I mean, this is one of those again, because there's a couple guys on a list like this where you talk about it's like they've won at every level. What more do you ask? Wherever you put them, they win. And there's a part of me that's like, that's awesome, but also like Sioux Falls, like what? Like for real, like how? Like I don't want to go too far. Like yeah. when people are like doubting Washington, then it's like Sioux Falls. But then when you're like, I don't know, should he be the the Michigan or Bama coach? Then I'm kind of like, ah, Sioux Falls. So I think he would fit better at Washington. Excuse me, I think he would fit better at Michigan than he does at Bama. But I think he probably deserves, deserves to be in the top five. He's a great ball coach, right? He's 104 and 12 as a head coach. Okay, fine. It's one of those things. But I'm no, not- I think like like yeah. objectively. Do I think like Kalen DeBoer is a better football coach than Ryan Day or Dan Lanning? Yes, I think he is. But Ryan Day and Dan Lanning have the experience of chasing a national title. Like, and I know that Washington just played in the national championship, but as we've discussed, like that didn't feel like something that Washington is going to be doing every single year. Like, I don't, I don't think Kalen DeBoer was building a perennial national championship contender at Washington. But now we're going to get to figure out if he can actually do that at Alabama. But yeah. it's it was enough. It's enough of, of an unknown for me that I would take the guys who have like gotten their teams there, or like one Ryan Day like got his team to the to the playoff multiple times and to the national championship. Dan Lanning is like operating a football machine that is striving for that in a way that I think you need to if you want to win national championships. All right, we can pick it up a little bit here. Who's six? 
Six for me is going to be um, Brian Kelly. Okay. I'm just not a huge Brian Kelly fan. Formerly of Notre Dame, now at LSU. Wholly unlikable, but a good football coach. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with it. And again, sort of I, I actually think that's a slightly less dang factor at Michigan, you know, but I don't disagree. Because I'm gonna take a guy again that I don't love right now either. And I'll take Lincoln Riley at seven. And I don't know why. No, I, you, you do know why, but it's coming off a terrible year. And again, like like there's been a like a lot of Ryan Day, Lincoln Riley discussion over the years and debates on like lists like this. And it's like, okay, well, you know, Ryan Day hasn't beaten Michigan three times low and had a bad bowl game against Missouri. Did you watch USC season? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, Ryan Day can't beat Michigan. Like, Lincoln Riley can't beat Utah. We know how good Kyle Whittingham is, but bro, right? Come on. Like, you're looking at the ocean. If you're looking at the ocean, you should be able to, to beat programs like that. And he hasn't. And he was slow on the draw on his DC, getting rid of Alex Grinch. So, like, mm-hmm. I think there's a gazillion questions around Lincoln Riley. Do you disagree with him at seven? I don't. It's it's really hard for me because, again, there's, like, coaches that I like way more than Lincoln Riley. Um, but part of it is the experience of, like, running a major program that I, that I think I'm probably leaning on too much. Um, I don't I don't think I would have taken him at seven. No. I think okay. he probably would have been in my top ten. But right. I've I've soured on him quite a bit. Yeah. All right. Who are you taking eight? Uh, I am going to take um, Lance Leipold. Yeah. How high would the dang factor have been if Michigan had hired him? Like, I, it's it would be interesting because I would have said dang like that for me. It's a dang like that's a guy who knows how to win, knows how to run a program. Um, hasn't done it at the Michigan level, but. He what is he in his career? He's a uh, one sixty three and sixty. Um, has done a very good job at Kansas. Did a very good job at Buffalo. Won national championships at Wisconsin Whitewater, um, multiple. Like that, like dang factor for me. Um, I think maybe not for the Michigan fan base at first blush, but I think it would that would be a hire that they would grow to love. Son of the North, clearly, every bit of every root in the North. Uh, I think he deserves to be in the top 10. So I think that's a good pick. I'll take Steve Sarkeesian here at nine. Been around the block, Texas coach, you know, former Washington, former USC, went through the Saban car wash to get his career back on track. Just took his team to the playoff. You know, a lot of good coaches have tried and failed at Texas, tried and failed to navigate all the things off the field that you have to navigate to win at Texas. So mm-hmm. you certainly, it's like, it should be a powerhouse. that hasn't been a powerhouse. So making them look like a powerhouse, you deserve credit for, you know, I'm not necessarily running out the door to hire Steve Sarkeesian for my elite, elite program, but I guess he's good. I don't know. I mean, he had a good, he's done a good job at Texas. His prior stops have left a lot to be desired, but it seems like he's learned from, Past mistakes yeah. in coaching, so I don't know. I think he's he's building something. Um, round out the top ten. I will round out the top ten with. This is really hard. So now, uh, like now, we're really, really, really getting into like how do you differentiate between some of these guys? Yeah, I'm gonna go. Uh, Mm, it doesn't Rule? matter this much. It doesn't Matt, matter enough for that. Matt, what? Matt Rule. Matt Rule. Matt, Matt Rule. Matt Rule. It's a ridiculous pick. You should take it back. Okay. You should be in no, okay. Uh, I have no idea how to differentiate at this point. 
So that's a good the guy won in a huge way at Baylor. That's pretty good. One in what a huge Baylor, way at Temple. A temple. Yep. I think I'll we believe it. in what he's building in Nebraska. Yeah. I think that's reasonable. Uh I'll take Dabo eleven because we promised we would. There we go. But I also think this is probably about right. I mean, yeah. if you really, really, really like where would you maybe I mean, if you want to take him eight ahead of Lance Leipold, that's fine. If you want to take him ahead of Steve Sarkeesian or Matt Rule, that actually probably makes sense, but we're doing a bit. But also, like, it's not out of place to have him 11th. No, it's like, I mean, he's got two rings, right? But, like, we're also far enough removed from that, and he has been, as you said earlier, he's been slow, slow, slow to adapt to what college football has become. But, like, on the other hand, since they won their last national championship, He's 14 and 1, 10 and 2, 10 and 3, 11 and 3, 9 and 4. It's not like he suddenly became a 500 coach. You know, <laughs> like he's he's still a good yeah. coach. Um, he's just a little slow on the uptake, I think, with the way college football is going. But I think that would scare you off if you're a board of trustees member, if you're a university president and you're hiring somebody for the modern age and you bring Dabo in and you say, Tell me about your NIL plan. Tell me about how you're going to use the transfer sure. portal to make us better. Mm-hmm. And by the way, like, yes, it's pretty good, but like at a place like Clemson in a, in a conference like the ACC, like 30 and 10 over the last three years actually is not great. Yeah. <laughs> like with the advantages that they have compared to most of the people they play. So I don't feel bad about 11th. I think that's about right. All right. To me, for the 12 spots, um, yeah. I am going to go with uh, James Franklin. I mean, there are people shouting about this, right? Again, has he not been defined more by what he's not than what he is? Yeah, but like, I like, so we have him 12th. Like, I see lists where James Franklin's like fourth, and that gets me shouting. I okay. don't know. 12, 12, and 12, like, maybe he should be more like 17th. I don't, I don't know. Um, but like I said, it's a little hard to differentiate between a lot of these guys. What if Michigan hired him? What's the dang factor on James Franklin? Uh, it's, 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 it's mild. It's a, it's a lukewarm dang, I think. Yeah. All right. I'm going to, da- I'm going to hit a heavier dang here and see what you think. Okay. Dion Sanders. I, Dion was not even in consideration for me. So, and let me, let me say the, the reason, because I do think he still has something where, he can energize a fan base and a university and a football community, and he can energize some high school. So he can energize players to want to come play for him. Now, holistically, do they need to do better high school recruiting? Do they need to have a more cohesive plan across the board? Do they need to build an offensive line? All those things. But I think like what he's best at, he's better at than anybody else. He has to fill in, and it's not even say to fill in the cracks. There are bricks missing in the house, right? That like there are spectacular aspects of what he's done at Colorado, but it's it's there's it's not enough substance yet. But if Michigan had hired Deion Sanders, I think the dang factor would have been huge. And then it's one of those things again. You lean into his strengths. You you go to a program where you can, you know, make sure there's a good infrastructure and whatever a, a program manager that helps with recruiting and a strength coach and like all those things, right? Mm-hmm. But like if we're getting to this point. I'm at the point. I'm. And I'm not. I don't want to say that James Franklin's not a good football coach. I think I'd rather take Dion because I don't know what he might be able to do. And I think we're at the level where I think we have a pretty good idea on some of these coaches that they are very good, but I don't know if they're getting you over the top. And maybe because he's so different, 
and so rare in some of the attributes he has that maybe Dion might. So it also might not work. And in three years you move on, but I'll stand by it. People can say I'm crazy. I'll stand by it. Yeah. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be a dang for me. It would be like, a, huh? Okay. I don't, there's just like, I, I don't know that he knows how to build a consistently competitive roster. And I don't know if he knows how to build a good staff yet. Like, and I'm not saying he can't do those things, but the sample size at the FBS level is, is far too small, I think, for me to rank them that high. Yeah. All right. I'm good with it. 14 okay. to you. Mark Stoops. Okay. Kentucky coach almost took the AM job. Uh, okay. Do you want to talk a lot about Mark Stoops? Are you good? No, I mean, I just think like you know, he's done a he's done a good job elevating Kentucky. Um, maybe there's fair questions about whether or not that's replicable with other places, or if you can handle a job that requires you to win ten or eleven games to be considered successful instead of seven. But I think he's a good coach. All right, I'll take Mike Norvell at Florida State. Mm-hmm. I think you know dealing with the portal and that kind of thing um, didn't lose a game this year to the bowl. So, all right, sixteen to you. Um. I have three that I'm considering. I will pick. Um, I've soured on him a little bit recently because he's doing some stuff that like makes me raise both eyebrows, but I still like him. Luke Fickle. Okay. What makes you raise your eyebrows? Uh, like the Phil, the Phil Longo thing was an odd decision, and like one that like I respect aggressively trying to take Wisconsin in the direction it needs to go. I question whether Phil Longo was the guy to get you there. Um, and now like the Tyler Van Dyke thing, like trying to make that the guy that makes that offense go. Like, I don't, I, I wonder if that's the right move. And then also he just hired Alex Grinch to coach his safeties, which is like, what are we doing here? Yeah, no, but Alex Grinch was not fit to be a defensive coordinator, power five level, but he can, I think he can be a safeties coach probably. I mean, we'll that's see. We'll see. Yeah. I, I th- certainly wouldn't hire him as a coordinator. I, I just, yeah, I don't know if I want to bring in, bring the bad juju into my program. So made the playoff at Cincinnati, now at Wisconsin. I like the fact that he's coming in and like, again, it's such a contrast to a program like Iowa compared to Wisconsin, where Luke came into Wisconsin and said, we're going to do it different. We're not Mm going to, because you can try, you can win 10 games a year uh, at a place like that, doing it the old way and leaning on defense and special teams and running the ball. But if you want to elevate, you got to do something different. And he came in and said, I'm not trying to win nine or 10 games a year. I'm trying to win a national title at Wisconsin. We have to be different to do that. So I like that idea. I think this is appropriate. There are certainly people I think who would put people, put Luke Fickle higher yep. uh, on this list. I'm going to go with a guy who I think it, it's, it's always, I think you prove something when you win at two places and when you elevate two places. And I think Jeff Brom has done that. So I think Jeff Brom and what, his success at Purdue, and then to go to Louisville and have Louisville in the ACC championship game, like right away, I think shows off some coaching chops. So, and then again, like, I think it's a reminder. It's like, I mean, he took Purdue to a big 10 championship game. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he turned Aiden O'Connell into like a, a starting quarterback in the NFL. Like there's a lot of things that I think maybe while he was doing it at Purdue, you took it for granted a little bit, or it was just off the radar. But I, I don't, I think Jeff Brom has kind of definitively proven he's pretty good at this. So I'll take him 17 at Louisville. Yeah, I definitely had him on my list. Um, I don't know if I would have gotten to him, but I don't think it's a, it's a bad pick. Um, there's three spots left. Uh, I'll take Chris Kleiman at Kansas State. Yeah. I mean, we, we are at the point now where it's like now in the late teens and early 20s, now you're like, oh, my gosh, I need to draft this guy. Oh, wait, I, I meant to get this guy, right? Because now mm-hmm. you're still in a big mix 
of guys that are going to be hard to choose from. But I think Chris Collinman certainly deserves to be here with what he's done at Kansas State. Um, my last pick, they're honestly are probably like one, two, three. Three guys I'm really considering, but I think he deserves to be on this list. I think he's building something. I think we haven't seen the best of it. I think I would be encouraged still on getting the guy on the way up, and I'll take Marcus Freeman at Notre yeah. Dame. I don't think that. deserves to be on the list. Yes? Yeah, no, I, th- I think so. And I, I, like, I, I have not soured on Marcus Freeman just yet. Like, I think there's enough there to like. And like, the one, th- I guess the one thing with Marcus Freeman is I thought you would see like a, a really noticeable immediate uptick in Notre Dame's recruiting. And I, and I don't know that we've seen that. Maybe it, someone could tell me that it's a, it's a little better, but I don't think it's demonstrably better. And I thought it would be. Um, but he's certainly done a decent job there. And again, like, you know, there's not a whole lot of other guys remaining that I think I would take over him necessarily. And they did, like, they kind of got in a little bit of a tough spot after Tommy Rees left for Alabama. And I think they tried to hire some people and they didn't have the money to go get him. And then they kind of patched it together. But now he brought in Mike Denbrock to bring him back to Notre Dame. And I do think yeah, like some that. of the, yeah. you know, I think he's working his way as a young coach through some of the hiring processes too, but maybe like headed in the right direction. All right. Last pick to you at 20. Um, there's like a little bit of old guard here that is like, they're good, but like, I don't like, you know, I would think I would want someone with a little more juice and I think a little more Kirk um, ceiling Kirk left. I'm talking about Kirk Ferentz. I'm like talking like Mike Gundy, I think is like a good coach, but I don't know yep. that I take him. Um, I will take Jonathan Smith. Yeah. That was one of the guys on my list. Oregon state coach now at Michigan state. Um, and again, I think right. A lot of it like might be the Washington coach. If he hadn't taken the Michigan state job. Yeah, uh, ahead of that, but I think a good. Which I mean, again, do you know for sure that Michigan State was going to hire a top twenty coach when they made that hire? So that's a good job by them. You mentioned Mike Gundy, um, Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri was a guy that that mm-hmm. I certainly had on my list to consider. Uh, yep. Dave Clawson at Wake Forest, Mike yep. Elko, Duke coach now at Texas A and M. You know, Matt Campbell's kind of already always in this mix. Dave Aranda at Baylor, who had a bad year but has had some success there. Anybody else that was in your mix? Um, yeah, I had like, it would have been a little bit off the radar because he's not done it at the FBS level just yet. But like Kurt Signetti has won a lot everywhere he's been prior to going yep. to Indiana. Um, Willie Fritz at Houston is like now in the P five, um, after moving there from Tulane, like he's a really good coach, but again, there's not a lot of proof of concept at this level. Um, just think he's a good coach. Um, like I had chip Kelly down, but I, I don't think I would have ever gotten there. I had Sonny Dykes down. I don't think I would have gotten there. Um, the ne- I think my next guy would have been Clawson. Okay. If I was, if I had another pick, yeah. So let's have this discussion here. We didn't necessarily have this sketched out, but we did talk about on our last show here on Kings of the North what then was the assumed impending departure of Jim Harbaugh to the NFL and the assumption that Sharon Moore would take over. Sharon Moore now is taking over, I believe, 37 years old. When you go through a list like this, we didn't draft Sharon Moore. I don't know how you would draft a guy as a head coach who's only been an interim fill in. Um, and never fully run a program before, although he certainly did an excellent job this year. When you think about Michigan making that decision, when I'm sure how many, I mean, we just did a top 20. I don't know, half, at least eight, probably of the guys. Some of the guys are pretty new to their schools, maybe wouldn't want to go. But like, if they wanted Chris Kleiman at Kansas State, if they wanted... Um, Lance Leipold from Kansas, if they wanted Brian Kelly 
from LSU. I certainly think there are guys here that they could have gotten at Michigan. Should they have? Or was Sharon Moore the right choice? Uh, I I think they probably should have opened it up. And part of that is informed by recent developments where like Michigan has lost Jesse Minter to go with Jim Harbaugh. They lost Ben Herbert. They're really good strength coach to go with Jim Harbaugh. It's like you make a continuity play and then you like kind of lose all the continuity anyway. Um, now we'll see if, if the presence of Sharon Moore helps Michigan keep its roster together. But even then I'm not sure that should be the motivation for picking your head coach. Um, so I think they should have opened it up. That's my long way of saying, yes, I think they should have opened it up to see like if they could, because I think they certainly would. I think Lance Leipold would have been interested in that job. Um, Chris Kleiman, Maybe he's less of a splash, but he's a good football coach. Like, I don't think he'd ever, 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 ever do it. But I think you like call Luke Fickle and say, like, hey, yeah. are you interested in coaching Michigan? So um I I think they should have opened it up. Yeah. So I I, I don't think a, a continuity hire for continuity's sake, like save the current recruiting class, save the current mm-hmm. roster. Anything with one year in mind is I shouldn't, it shouldn't factor in at all mm-hmm. in my mind. Because if you don't think the guy can stand on his own two feet, then you shouldn't hire him to begin with. And in this day and age, what has clearly become a year-to-year sport with the transfer portal and NIL and everything else, like even if your whole team leaves, by the way, as we did on our on our draft of Michigan players on that last show anyway, like Michigan's losing its whole team anyway. They're losing 11 of their top 14 players anyway. So like continuity for continuity's sake, like that's not why I would have hired him. And you make good points about the strength coach and the defensive coordinator, but I would have hired him because he's Sharon Moore. I would have hired him. I, I, I do believe in the idea of there's a difference between hiring the guy down the hall and hiring the guy you don't want to let leave the building. Mm-hmm. And the guy down the hall is easy. The guy you don't want to let leave the building is we've got him in. If we let him go, maybe we'll never get him back. And we think this guy might be something special. And I think I certainly applied that thinking to the Marcus Freeman hire at Notre Dame. And if I were Notre Dame, I would make that hire again when Brian Kelly left. I think that was part of the Ohio State calculus of hiring Ryan Day. Sure. Uh, I think it was part of the calculus when many moons ago, Northwestern hired Pat Fitzgerald after their tragic passing of, of, of its head coach, like that kind of thing of like, okay, is this guy a thousand percent ready for this? No, but he's here now and we think he's going to be good Mm -hmm. eventually and not far off a decade down the road, eventually sooner than later, maybe not tomorrow, but sooner than later, are we willing to believe in our structure, believe in everything else we do well, nurture him where he needs to be nurtured and then say like, but this is our guy for the long term." And I, the Lincoln Riley hire at Oklahoma, I think like a lot of those hires, I think, I think it's maybe most similar to Marcus Freeman, Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. I think there's some real, real comparisons here. Would you have ideally done it right now? No, but the guy left. So I don't think like Marcus Freeman was a continuity hire. I think Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame is like a, don't let him leave the building because two years from now, if we let him go be a coordinator somewhere else or a head coach or somewhere, head coach somewhere else, else, we'd want him back. So just buckle up and do it now. So I would have done Sharon more, but man, if Kyle Whittingham would have locked through that, walked through that door or Lance Leipold would have walked through that door. I think the big 10 might've been like, dang as we said and i I don't know that i don't know that sharon moore is a dang today but i think he might be a dang tomorrow so i do i think it was the right move by michigan 
not for continuity's sake, but because of what that guy's going to be in another two or three years. Yeah, I, and like I, I understand that if that's the the way that Michigan was was coming at it, it's like you could you could get a Chris Kleiman and maybe ensure yourself of a certain floor. Like we're never going to be right. worse than eight and four if we hire Chris Kleiman. But it's like and maybe Chris Kleiman's a bad example because he's won national championships. But um, is that the guy who's going to get you to long term national championship viability? I don't know the answer to that. And if you believe you already have that guy in the building. You're probably right. You shouldn't let him leave. I, I don't know that I like me personally. Do I view Sherwin more that way? Not necessarily. But if Michigan does, based off the work that he did this past year, filling in for Jim Harbaugh, I don't. I don't fault him for that. Yeah. Okay. When we come back, there's a method to our madness. Why did we do this? Because we wanted to establish the best coaches in college football, so then we could then talk about where they're from. Because in the end. Many of the discussions on this show tie back to where guys are from. When we come back, how much North is in that list? How much North is in the head coaching ranks in the power conferences? That's all next on Kings of the North. Back on Kings of the North, why did we do this? Landis, because we want to figure out if better coaches come from the North or the South. That's all we're trying to do. We're laying a foundation. Okay, mm -hmm. so I, I went through the power, the 68 power conference coaches, head coaches, before this exercise. So I have the stats all, overall on them, but I want to do the top 20. So I have guys both by it's – both, it's mostly like where they graduated from high school is sort yeah. of how I count like where they're raised. Like Kurt Signetti is actually interesting because Kurt Signetti like grew up in Pittsburgh, but then his dad got a job at West Virginia, so he went to high school in West Virginia. So, But it's still north-north because we take West Virginia, obviously. We're going to have some – Listen to that man speak. He's Pittsburgh. Oh, he's Pittsburgh yeah. through and through. So, like, if we if we did not count West Virginia as the North, I mean, we'd have to at least split that because there's a lot of Pittsburgh in him. Mm -hmm. um, and then I then I did where they went to college, and a lot of guys went to college in the same state in which they grew up, but not all of them. So, by our northern definition, how many of our top twenty coaches do you think grew up in the North? Mm, Thirteen, eleven, and then there's like two border guys. Okay. How many do you think went to college in the North? Nine. Twelve. Mm. So listen, that's more than half. I don't know I have, you know, whether you're North or South or wherever you are. Right on the border, 11 and 12 out of 20 is more than half. Mm -hmm. So that's the reminder. Okay. There is still... Now, do you think that will change? Do you think some of that is the lingering what's left over from previous generations when maybe you would say, hey, man, like great football, Ohio, Pennsylvania, hmm. right? Like right at the top. That's as good. And, you know, there's is that is it's when we do this guys in their 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s, more than half are from the north. Like, do you think that'll change another 10 or 15 years? Will there be more coaches from the south? Maybe, maybe I, I don't know. Like I guess I had it considered like the relationship between like prolifer proliferation of coaches to like, I guess, high school football talent and then what those guys ultimately become. Um, but no, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Only because if like you look at, we're going to look at this, like some, some of the States where the coaches come from, like I don't, don't scream at you like, well, well, high school football talent. So I don't, I don't know if there's a correlation there that makes me think it's going to change. Yeah, I don't think it's going to change either. So come north, good players in the south. Come north and learn from northern coaches. Because here's part of the deal, too, is 
There's some cultural fits here that really matter in the North and the South. They're willing to hire Northern coaches and say, come coach here. But let's run through the top 20. Georgie Smart, Georgie Smart. Kirby Smart, you may as well call him Georgie. Georgie. Hey, Georgie, you love Georgia so much. He loves Georgia so much, he changed his name to Georgie. Dog mentality. Kirby Smart. Georgie Smart makes as much sense as Kirby Smart. If you're like, hey, what's the name of the head coach at Georgia? Well, his name's George, but everybody calls him Georgie. Calls him Georgie. You'd be like, that's ridiculous. Georgie is a ridiculous name for a head coach. What's his yeah. actual name? Kirby. <laughs> I might just call him Georgie Smart. He's from Georgia. Ryan Day, New Hampshire. Went to New Hampshire. Dan Lanning at three. Border guy. Went to William Jewell College in Missouri from Missouri. So we call him on the border. Kyle Whittingham from Utah went to BYU. He's fourth. Kalen DeBoer, son of South Dakota, is as South Dakota as you can get, unless you're chiseling the faces of presidents into a mountain. (laughs) And I think the guy who did that was from France. (laughs) France is up up the north. Yeah. (laughs) I, uh... Man, if I lived in South Dakota, I'd be looking at president. I'd drive every day to look at a president's face. It's inspiring. Brian Kelly, he went to college in at Assumption University in Massachusetts, football powerhouse. Mm-hmm. He's of the North. Lincoln Riley, he's from Texas. Lance Leipold, Wisconsin, 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 Whitewater. He's he's went to college there and then coached there. He's as Wisconsin. He's, he's made a Sar- cheese. Steve Sarkeesian, he's from California. Matt Rule. He went to Penn State. He grew up in the north. Where's Dabo, he from? Matt Rule. I wrote it down. It's it's it's. Should I do spreadsheets on a computer, or are you good with me being a notebook flip pages guy? I like I like hearing the rustling of pages, but I, I just search. He's from New York. He was born in New York City. Oh, that's right. He's he's New York. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Dabo James Franklin. He's from uh, PA, and then went to East Stroudsburg. Right. He went to Nish- Nishamani High School. That's right. So that's so he's of the north. Deion Sanders, he's from Florida. Now he's at now he's in Colorado. Uh Bob Stoops, not Bob Stoops, Mark Stoops from Youngstown. But also Bob and then Stoops. went then went to Iowa. The whole Stoops family, right? Mm-hmm. The Youngstown to Iowa pipeline, north and north. Mike Norvell, he's from the south. Luke Fickle, Columbus as it gets, went to Ohio State. He's of the north. Jeff Brom, border. Louisville, 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 growing up and going to college. Chris Kleiman, he's from Iowa, went to Northern Iowa. So, like, that's the guy you keep your eye on when Ference is done. Chris Kleiman could be the next guy up mm. at the University of Iowa. Uh, Marcus Freeman from Dayton in Ohio, went to Ohio State. He's of the North. Jonathan Smith from California, but went to Oregon State. So, we don't count California in the North. Oregon State, we do count in the North. So, that's the, how we got from 11 hometowns to 12 colleges with our got top it. 20 Northern coaches. Dude! It's a reminder. Like, do people know that, or do they think all the best coaches are from Texas? Because here's the here's the thing: <laughs> they're not. I would, yeah, no, pro- probably. Like, I would have made that assumption. What? Well, would you before before we became, um, I don't know. What are we stewards of Northern football? I don't know what we are. Mm-hmm. But before that, uh, would you would you have assumed that, or would you have assumed all the coaches were from Texas? So I'm gonna drop in. A, uh, see, I. I would have wondered if it had changed generationally, but I know that I have been aware. And I think people have been aware, like cradle coaches, right? Miami, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Like there's right. like, there's been what, like the recent past, the last since 2000. So that's, it's actually like 25 national titles because of the split. 
and that kind of thing, right? So going back to 2000. Uh, and I think I knew this. This was ingrained in me. It's why we're the right people to be here on behalf of the North. National titles, how many do you think of those 25 were won by Northern coaches versus non-Northern coaches? I know that we're going to define this program in part by telling the South to cram it, but rather than saying like, thinking South and non-South, I want to think North and non-North. So like, I, you know, California is non-North. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily Southern. It's not the South. But how many Northern and non-Northern national titles <clears throat> in the last 25 national titles? I mean, for, uh, for coaches, not that team. For coaches. Where uh, I would say that there have been, um, out of 25, there have been 18 Northern coaches to win national titles. Oh, that's good. It's, it's 15. 15. Uh, Northern national titles won by one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different coaches. And then there were 10 non-Northern national titles won by seven different coaches. So it's 14 total coaches. But as we all know, Nick Saban, son of the North. That's so right. like, if you want to say like, oh, it's not fair. It's not fair that the North gets to count Nick Saban. He won so many. Don't crack that door, South. Because we can blow a hole in SEC dominance real quick. <laughs> Nick Saban from West Virginia, seven titles. Urban Meyer from Ohio, three titles. Les Miles won a title at LSU. He's from Ohio. He went to Michigan. His college roommate was Anthony Gonzalez's dad. Anthony Gonzalez, the former Ohio State receiver and Ohio congressman. North! Jim Harbaugh, born in Toledo in the same hospital as Urban Meyer. North! Bob Stoops, Oklahoma, Youngstown, North, Jimbo Fisher, Florida State national title. His name's Jimbo. He's from West Virginia, man, and we're claiming mm -hmm. West Virginia. North, Jim Tressel, son of Ohio, North, 15 of 25, the last 25 national titles. Meanwhile, in the South, Kirby Smart, two. He's from Georgia. Dabo Sweeney, two. He's from Alabama. Gene Chizik, one. He's from Florida. Mac Brown, one. He's from Tennessee. Pete Carroll, two. He's from California. Larry Coker, one. He's from Oklahoma. Ed, Ed, Ed Orgeron, one. He is from Maine. <laughs> well, do you, have you, have you seen well. the uh, SNL Maine Justice sketch where like someone is in, on trial for, in Maine for like uh, – running over someone's bushes or something like that. But like every one of the courtroom talks like they're from Louisiana. That's a real sketch. It's hilarious. Yeah. We yeah. just came up with that five seconds ago. I didn't know I was stealing from SML. Yeah. Oh, great. you know, uh, coach would love to go uh, lobster hunting and eat them lobster. Eat some uh, New England clam chowder. Coach would like that very much. Uh, born and raised down the road from us. Uh, Stephen King loved them novels. <laughs> So 15 to 25 for the North. So overall, then, now we're talking about coaching backgrounds across the board. The 68, 68, 68 right now, home, home states, where they grew up, okay? That is uh, a lean to the South, barely. But there's, there's a lot of border states in there. So we have, again, you have to think about this. And we have not defined all the northern and southern states by our definition yet. We've done it by programs. There are some states that you know, maybe split the state in half or whatever. But by our definition, 32 of the 68 power conference head coaches were raised in the south. 31 were raised in the north. Five were on the border, whether that's Missouri or Kansas or the right part of Kentucky, maybe. 
mm-hmm. not right, like as opposed to wrong, but as for our purposes here. So like, again, but Landis, that discussion, we're talking about 68 programs where the North only claims 26. So if there are 31 Northern head coaches, that means there are a bunch of them who are not at Northern schools. So even though the South has a one school edge, a one home state edge here, not school, <laughs> but where they were raised, right? It should be more South. That's the point here. There's so much South in the power conferences, but really 31 for the North here. Home state is huge. And by the way, Ohio, Jersey, both with five each, the, the, the states that had the most, Ohio, Jersey, Texas, and California each had five. New England stepping up here, like a bunch of like New England, like a bunch of New Hampshire and Massachusetts dudes in these ranks. Mm-hmm. I think this is good for the North. 31 of the 68 with five on the border for home state where you were raised. Yeah. I mean, again, that's a number that I would not have assumed prior to this exercise. Like of of the 26 teams that we claimed, I probably would have guessed that fewer than that had Northern um, born or raised or however you want to couch it head coaches. Um, So the fact that we have 31 coaches from the North for only 26 programs and 37 non-North coaches um, is a little surprising to me, but again, speaks to the point. The South is not the epicenter of college football. So now we'll go to where they went to college. So so this is like ingrained culture, where you grew up, how much football mattered in your life, how much football mattered to your community. And for everybody who says, oh, it just means more. It's like, does it? Then where are your coaches? Mm-hmm. And now we're getting to education. Now, And I don't mean like even edge. It's like where you choose to go, where you have opportunity where you think there might be people who are kind of like you, where you want to spend your four formative years. Do you want to stay close to home? Do you want to get out and go somewhere else? Are there a bunch of these guys in the North who are like, get, I really love football. Get me out of here. Hmm. Right? No, there's not. Because when we look at the coaches, where they went to college, 33 North, 32 South, three on the border. And the states with the most number of coaches who went to college in their state, Iowa and Florida, five, Pennsylvania, Arkansas, Oklahoma, California, four. So again, Landis, this is where you learn about the game. Home state, that's where it's ingrained in you. Now, this is you going out to seek knowledge and exposure to the game. More north than south matters. Yes, I think it matters. And you know, you have me wonder who was the, who's the f- other two or the other two besides James Franklin and Matt rule from Pennsylvania. Oh, so let's play the Iowa game first. Cause you and I played the Iowa game uh, off mic off camera earlier. And the five current power conference coaches who went to college in the state of Iowa are Mark Stoops of Kentucky, who went to Iowa and Brett Bielema of Illinois, who went to Iowa Chris Kleiman of Kansas State, who went to Northern Iowa. Dana Holgerson of Houston, who was part of that Hal Mummy uh, air raid revolution that started at Iowa Wesleyan. Mm-hmm. So that, again, that's a formative part of modern college football. And then, uh, who's the Drake? Dave Doran at North Carolina State went to Drake. And like Chris Ash, uh, the one-time coach at Rutgers, head coach at Rutgers, also went to Drake. Like there's a little bit of a football thing at Drake. So those are the, uh, the people who... Um, Went to college in Iowa. Now you're asking who went to college in Pennsylvania. Okay. Mike Elko, now at Texas A&M. This is one of those things. Again, this has not happened south to north. 
Mike Elko is from New Jersey and went to Penn. Oh, I didn't know that. And he's the new coach at West Virginia at, at Texas A&M, replacing a guy from West Virginia who people think is like the most southern guy you can ever find. Mike Elko, the Texas A&M coach, went to Penn. What's the equivalent of that? Like, uh, what's, what's the southern equivalent of like, hey, the like, what's the most northern college you can think of that would have the most southern college head coach there? As I'll look for the other uh, Pennsylvania guys. I don't know. I, why do they not know Mike Elko went to Penn? That's interesting. The mean streets of Philadelphia producing a head coach at Texas A&M. Look at you. You're so proud. That's, That's right, why you're asking this. Like, oh, what, yeah. what happens to be the one uh, state that Landis followed up on? Um, it's, uh, it's the one where oh. I'm from, you're, that you're also from. So Matt Rule, as you asked, went mm -hmm. to Penn State, That's and it. James Franklin went to eat Strasburg. Greg Schiano went to Bucknell. Oh, I knew that. Yeah, that's right. Look at you. Look at yeah. you falling down with your that's Pennsylvania right. college football knowledge. So Beautiful anyway, Willisburg, Pennsylvania. Yeah. So, so, so I think that should tell you something. So, the best coach, the best coaches come from the north, and I just, I don't know that there would be any reason for that to change. And and again, I do think so. Like, do you believe culture fit matters in college football coaching? Absolutely. Yeah. It matters in the North. The only Big Ten coaches, for instance, I'm, let me run through the Big Ten coaches. The only Big Ten coaches who are not from the North, Sharon Moore actually is from Kansas and went to Oklahoma, mm -hmm. and he's the new Michigan coach. That's like a stretch for the Big Ten. Uh, Lincoln Riley at USC is from Texas and went to Texas Tech. But like that's what you get when you put a Southern California school in the Big Ten. Mm -hmm. And Dan Lanning is from Missouri and went to William Jewell in Missouri. Every and then uh, Jed Fish is from New Jersey and went to Florida as the new Washington coach. So that is an example of like a guy who was in the North was like, "Get me out of here! I want to go where it's warm yeah. for college." Every other so that's that's fourteen of the eighteen Big Ten coaches went to college in the North, and six. 13 or 15 of the 18 were raised in the North. Okay. So like they don't take like Southern dudes are not the, the, the North, the big 10, the North is not looking for a solution in its leadership by peering South. They're just not, they don't think to themselves, Oh my God, what are we going to do? We got to go get a Southern guy to lead our football program. That's not the belief in the sec. Kalen DeBoer, now at Alabama, born and raised in South Dakota, went to the University of Sioux, Halls, Sioux Falls. Brian Kelly, LSU said, we got to go north to get help. He's from Massachusetts. He went to Assumption College in Massachusetts. They got him from Notre Dame. Lane Kiffin was born in Nebraska and went to high school in Minnesota. So he can do whatever he wants to do at Ole Miss. He can coach at Tennessee. He can whatever. You went to high school in Minnesota, brother. I don't know what to tell you. He has a bit um, of a Southern accent, which now I'm curious about. False. <laughs> Name that false Southern accent among SEC coaches. Mark Stoops from Ohio went to Iowa, now the head coach at uh, Kentucky. Josh Heupel finished second in the Heisman at Oklahoma after he transferred from Weber State, which is in Utah, and after he was born and raised in South Dakota. The Tennessee coach and the Alabama coach are South Dakota guys through and through. Cut them open and they bleed the faces of presidents. 
Steve Sarkeesian, the Texas coach He's from California, he went to BYU. BYU's in the north. And and as we said, Mike Elko, Texas A. So, like, again, the north must get southern players to succeed at the highest level. The south must get northern coaches to succeed at the highest level. Not all northern coaches, but they better sprinkle some in. Not all Southern players, but you better sprinkle some in. So if we're going to have a conversation about how there's a demographic shift, about how you got to be somewhere, then let's have the same conversation when it comes to coaching. Man, you can't find coaches down here, man. If you're looking for coaches in Georgia or Florida or Louisiana or Bam, you're not going to find them. You know where you're going to find them? South Dakota. South Dakota. New Hampshire. Drake. We're going to revolutionize football at Iowa Wesleyan. North, 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 north. So I'm not going to say something like the brain power of college football resides in the north, because why would I say that? That wouldn't yeah, be a thing. That wouldn't be a polite thing for a person to say. No. I wouldn't say that the north has a brain drain because the south keeps paying coaches. But I would say this. I, would, I wouldn't say that. Anybody can do anything from anywhere. We all know that. But I do think a world where once upon a time, a guy like Brett Bielema, who is of the North, went to Iowa, was coaching at Wisconsin, felt like I need to go to Arkansas to like get paid more and like give my career a boost. I don't think that should happen anymore. And I don't think there's anybody who wants to be a coach who's from the North or is a coach in the North right now. There should be no belief that you must go South for the best football or that you must go South to advance your career. Now, someone like Fran Brown is a great example. Fran Brown, son of the North, Born and raised in New Jersey, worked in the North, went to Georgia for two years as a position coach before he got hired as the Syracuse head coach this offseason. Great. You want to go down, I call for finishing school, learn, you know, like infiltrate, learn their ways. Oh, I wonder how they do it down there. How do they recruit? How do you coach players? How do you? Great. But do not think that that's where you must stay to succeed because it's not true. Now, if the South wants to throw a bunch of money at you, I get it. That's the, yeah, that's the part. Yeah. But also the North should be able to throw the same money at you. And the coaching in the North is absolutely as good as it is in the South, which again, maybe once upon a time was true. And there are a bunch of guys who, who were born and raised in the North who are making that, making that the case. That's all. That's all I'm saying. So are you, are you like, and I actually don't know the stuff in my head. I should, but I don't know what the difference in salary was for Kalen DeBoer in Alabama compared to what Washington offered him. I know the Washington's offer to him was rather substantial. Are you in favor of like Notre Dame paying Brian Kelly $10 million to stay there instead of going to LSU? No. Um, I think I am in favor of what I'm not in favor of is Brian Kelly or Kalen DeBoer feeling like if I want to win at the highest level, I have to go south. That's what I'm not in favor of. And I think Brian Kelly believed that and felt that, right? That I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Right. So that I think is not true anymore. I would push back against that. And I'm not so sure that Notre Dame doesn't have a better path to a national championship than LSU right now. So whatever Brian Kelly felt was true two years ago may not even be true anymore with the way expansion has worked in the air of the 12-team playoff. Now, Bama's an exception because Bama's just one of the three elite programs in college football. But I certainly think Kellen DeBoer would have a better chance to win at Ohio State or Michigan than he would at Alabama based on cultural fit and based on a couple other things. But I think I, I think the idea that because Bama could have gone after anybody, okay? And Dan Landing was the first name who certainly, again, 
from Missouri, born, raised, educated in Missouri, was coaching in the South at Georgia, but now is North at Oregon. And they went to the, or they certainly entertained the idea of the Oregon coach and landed on the Michigan coach. And that is something. Texas A&M like wound up with a guy who's Jersey, Jersey Penn. And yeah, he had been the defensive coordinator at Texas A&M before, but that is something. There's something there to that. And that's what I want people to take away from this. So it's it's not about the institution. I think it's about any individual coach yeah. who believes the South has a higher level of football. That's where I must go. It's not true. No, I don't think it's true either. I, I mean, I, I maybe would have disagreed with that a couple of years ago, but I think the sport has um, – open more doors to the North because we've talked about before. So I think that's right. Like there's the, there's the player piece, right? There's the, the, you know, more, more talent uh, located in the South than there is in the North. And I understand why that would be certainly understand why that would be appealing um, to any coach that wanted to go coach um, in non-Northern States. Cause the same is true of like California and like Arizona, I think increasingly too. Um, but I think you're right. I think it's about more, it's more about the individual coaches decisions than it is on the institutions to like bankrupt themselves to keep them there. Um, I would hope that the perspective on what Northern football is and can be is changing among Northern coaches who think they have to go down South. And that's part of the problem with the coaching cycle is that desperate, 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 don't know what else to do. Let's go hire a smart Northern coach. Desperate Southern teams drive up coaching salaries with their lunatic desperation. And then the choice for a Northern college is to either match it or lose the coach. And it drives up salaries across the board. And I don't know that any Northern school wants to be paying its head coach $12 million a year, but if that's the going rate as determined by desperate, don't know where to turn schools like LSU and Texas A&M and Auburn and places like that, then they create the going rate. We almost, mm -hmm. it should be like Canada. Can we count Southern currency as like not quite worth the northern dollar, <laughs> right? It's like, well, it's Canadian money, man. It's Louisiana money. They got to pay a dollar twenty-five to get a dollar's worth of coach. So keep that in mind. Is that offensive to say that the currency should be different in the South? I don't think. No, no, that no. Is. I don't know. No. It's uh, I'll have to check. But I don't. Like that's I don't think you have to go too much farther down that road. <laughs> We're stopping right at currency. <laughs> But it's like, but they throw it off for everybody because it is a national sport in that way. And that's why Brett Bielema went to Arkansas because they wouldn't pay his assistance at Wisconsin. So what happens now? Big 10 network com money comes in. Big time TV money comes into the Big 10. Now the Big 10 will pay it. They do pay it. Should mm -hmm. they? Do they want to? It's the going rate created by the South. But it's not created because this is the, uh, we had, a, I think, a discussion the other show about like motivation. Like, does motivation matter? Here's where I just think people need to realize motion, motivation matters. The South doesn't pay more because it's better. The South pays more because it's more desperate. Mm -hmm. Do not equate. Don't do not pretend those are the same things. Like, oh my God. Oh, like I have 10 minutes to figure this out. You're going to pay a higher price. If you have a week to figure it out, you're going to pay a lower price. You're not better because you paid the higher price. You're not yeah. a very good problem solver. You couldn't solve it in your own backyard. Where's the coach who wants to go to LSU and is going to kill it and has been dying for the opportunity to be the coach at LSU his whole life? Oh, man, that's all I want. They got guys lined up 
a mile long to be the Ohio State head coach. They got guys up lined up a mile long to be coaches of the North for that stuff. You can't find anybody. There's no people who are candidates. Guess we better get the Penn guy. They're in South Dakota. Whoa. Coach O could go to Penn. What a you can you ride with a pencil when you go to Penn or you gotta ride a pen? Well, Coach O when you got a marker. What are we doing? So just please understand the difference. We're gonna play a game. We're gonna play a game called uh, grab that northern coach. We wanna we wanna find coaches who are not currently power five head coaches in the north. And we want to say in a couple of years we would like them to be so. We'll do that next on Kings of the North. All right. You know, we 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 don't want this to be homework. So sometimes we want to play games. Sometimes we want to get fun. We want to be theoretical. We want to like be hypothetical. We don't just want to make lists and say this is the best tight end in the state of uh, Idaho. So we're going to say, who are some northern coaches that that aren't here right now that you would like to see? This is one of my favorite things. I did this at Cleveland.com many moons ago, Bill. I think it was after Jim Harbaugh was hired, actually. I did like the ideal hire for every Big Ten program, you know, mm-hmm. sort of bit like, you know, because you can, because Jim Harbaugh was that, right? Prodigal son returning home. So like, what could that be? So, th- so this, we don't have to put the guy at a school, but I, like Fran, I, I would have hoped if we had been doing this show a year ago, I would have been, I would have hoped that we would have been smart enough to put Fran Brown on this list. Yeah. Like, Hey, here's this guy with <clears throat> Jersey roots, succeeded at Temple, Georgia came and got him. I think he's ready to be a head coach at sort of like a mid tier Northern program. Keep Fran Brown on your radar. Matt Rule a couple of years ago, like, hey, man, like, I don't think it's going to work out in the NFL. He's a Pennsylvania guy, went to Penn State, killed it at Baylor. But the next time there's a good opening in the North, I think they should be ready to pounce on Matt Rule. I think those are like two ends of the spectrum, right? Yeah. Like maybe an established guy or a not established guy. That's what we want to do here. So who's your first suggestion? So like, I, my first one is Mark Stoops, I guess. Um, like I have, I have some more interesting people, and like Mark Stoops, I think is kind of an obvious one. Um, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit when like Mark Stoops was reportedly the pick for Texas A and M, and like Texas A and M revolted against that, as if like having a quality football coach who's done a great job at Kentucky wasn't good enough for them after they just spent a billion dollars to get rid of Jimbo Fisher. Um, so like if he's not wanted down there, then come back home, Mark Stoops. Go uh, go replace Kirk Ferentz at your alma mater at Iowa. I think like any, I wouldn't even say like he's probably above like a mid tier Big Ten school at this point with the work that he's done at Kentucky. Um, so I don't know what that job is like. Like in a, in a different world where Jonathan Smith got the Washington job, and Michigan State has an opening. Like I like Mark Stoops for a job like that, right? I like mm. Mark Stoops clearly at his at his alma mater. I don't know. I don't know if Mark Stoops would be like my first pick for like an open Michigan job, but I think I'd consider him to come back up, up north. Like a guy from Ohio going to Michigan who recruits the heck out of Ohio already at Kentucky, going back to Michigan and doing the same thing. Like I can get behind that. Um, so I would, I would like him to, you know, it's a short drive. He's in Lexington. He's not very far. Hmm. Just drive like, you know, three hours north and come on home. I, I like that. Do you think, I mean, really, the Iowa job, whenever in the next couple of years is obviously going to be open. Um, there's going to be a lot of good candidates for it. Like Stoops yeah. is super interesting. As I already mentioned, Chris Kleiman is super interesting. Bielema is um, an Iowa guy. And there's some other, there's actually a guy that I have on my list here that I'll get to. Um, I so I like that one. I'm going to start with my list. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to start with my pie in the sky guy, which is, I talk about this every time something like this comes up and I'm going to give you two clues and you can see if you can guess the name of this person. Number one is he's 51 years old. 
And number two is he was the defensive backs coach for the Cincinnati Bearcats in 1999 and 2000. Name that coach. I don't know. Mike Tomlin. Oh. I think about Mike Tomlin, Pittsburgh Steelers head coach, as a college football coach all the time. Interesting. Like, if we want to play dang Michigan, like, you know what? It's kind of run its course with the Steelers. It's not like he's getting out of town. They did a great job just to make it to the playoffs this year, but he doesn't, he has no quarterback. They're rebuilding again, and Michigan's like 15 million a year. Can you imagine the dang that would have resounded through college football if Michigan had hired Mike Tomlin? And isn't it crazy that it was this, he was coaching at Cincinnati? He was the defensive backs coach for the Cincinnati Bearcats seven years before he became the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's how fast he accelerated. Wow. He went from Cincinnati to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as a defensive backs coach. He was the defensive coordinator for the Vikings for one year, and then he got the job with the Steelers. So anytime I can talk about Mike Tomlin as a college football coach, I do it. So I wanted to do it here. So it had to be a godfather offer of like, I, I don't even know what. Say like it really doesn't work with Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame. And Notre Dame's like, we are sick of this, Mike Tomlin. Right? I mean, it has to be. Yeah. Say like say like Penn State's like, listen, man, we want to be the best program in the North. Mike Tomlin. Like, I, just, I think about it. And I have, right? Anytime you think about, I mean, like, listen, Mike Vrabel's out there. He's a former Ohio State guy. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe Mike Vrabel will be a coach in the North. Same kind of thing. I and probably more likely like Mike Vrabel, Mike Tomlin will probably never be a head coach in college football, but I think about it constantly. I I didn't even like consider going that direction and like looking in the NFL for somebody who I would Bill Belichick. Yeah, Bill Belichick. His daughter played softball at Ohio State. Make it happen. <laughs> right? What did this his daughter did did something here. It was like an assistant coach in lacrosse or something. I can't remember it, but I think, that, I that's think, a real thing. I think that is, is what it was. Yeah. But he's he's off the north, right? Isn't he? A, oh, no. He was born. Bill Belichick was born in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, forget it. I rescind yeah. the offer. Yeah. But he, uh, did, he went to Wesleyan. So he yeah. went to college in the north. Northern. All these guys. Yeah. So somebody went to Williams. I can't. Somebody in the is a power 68 head coach right now went to Williams College in uh, Massachusetts. I'll look him up. Uh, Dave Clawson is from the Wake Forest head coach is from New York and went to Williams College in that in Massachusetts. Nice. What do you know? All right, name another guy. Uh, I'm going to steal the guy you were alluding to, Ryan Grubb. Yeah. Um, from Iowa has been in the North for the majority of his coaching career. Had it? I don't know that we consider Fresno State the North, right? They're, we don't. It's northern. It's also not the South, but yeah. it's not the South, right? But. Uh, was a high school coach in Iowa, uh, coached South Dakota State, Sioux Falls, Eastern Michigan, uh, most famously the Washington offensive coordinator the last couple of years, tied at the hip to um, Caleb DeBoer uh, from Iowa, currently the Alabama offensive coordinator. I hate that he's there. I wanted him to be the, the head I coach know. at Washington. Um, they I under, did not go that route. They, they did, did not, not. go to more. They did not. They wanted, they wanted more, I guess, experience at the position, which, again, was like, Maybe that's the right thing to do, but you know, elevating Ryan Grubb also seemed like an enticing opportunity. And then when that didn't happen, there was just like nowhere else for Ryan Grubb to go, I guess, because all the other coaching jobs were filled. Um, but I, I do think he will eventually be back in the North as yeah. a head coach. But at the moment, um, he's down there in Alabama as the offensive coordinator. 
I mean, for whatever reason, if Matt Campbell at Iowa State or P.J. Fleck at Minnesota or Brett Bielema at Illinois move on, like Ryan Grubb should be at the top of the list for that, Yeah. in addition to potentially whenever Kirk Ferentz moves on at Iowa. Um, all right, I want to grab uh, another. I have, I have, I have some, some sons of the North here that I want to talk about. One is uh, Brennan Marion, who's the offensive coordinator at UNLV, mm-hmm. had previously been at Texas. He's uh, grew up in the Pittsburgh area. And he was at Pitt in 2021 as the receivers coach when Jordan Addison had that ridiculous year and won the Boletnikoff. And so he's a riser. He's cre- he like f- created an offense he calls the Go Go offense, which offense. is like yeah. a little bit of like a, uh right like some option spread vertical threat kind of stuff, but like gets up and down like again we kind of Go Go offense. It's, it's not. It's not what they run at Iowa. So um, I, I, I understand. You're on a slow, slow offense. Yeah. And he's bounced around a lot, understandably. I mean, it's a nomadic lifestyle often early in your career. But like this idea of like he was at Pitt just a couple years ago. Now, Texas, UNLV the past two years. But he's from Pennsylvania. Like just I like the idea. It's like, fine, go out into the world. But like I think the North needs to bring him home sooner than later. Right. And if he's the offensive yeah. coordinator at UNLV right now, he probably should be the offensive coordinator at some school in the Big Ten or at back at Pitt or somewhere like that or West Virginia probably sooner than later and then maybe would be on some head coaching radars. I was surprised that in an offseason where both Pitt and Penn State were looking for offensive coordinators that he did not end up at either one of those places. Yes, I think that's reasonable. Um, so, But I, he's still really young, right? I, yeah. I, you know, I we 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 got we got time on this but again like you know let's let's look out in the future he's 36 so um from greensburg pennsylvania went to graduated high school there all right who's your next guy um i will go i'm going to i have a couple current head coaches but i'm going to skip them to go to the guys a little off the radar i'm wondering if you considered him at all uh jamarcus shepherd did not give it to he you. is he is the receivers coach at Alabama, was the receivers coach at Washington the last couple of years, was the receivers coach at Purdue, who recruited Rondell Moore to Purdue. Oh. Um, he is from Fort Wayne, Indiana. He went to DePaul with a W University. Um, he is of the North. He's just currently in the South. He's got a really interesting resume. Maybe he needs to be a coordinator um, before we consider him as, as a head coach, but um, I like the idea of a guy like that maybe even getting a shot before people think he's ready for it, like coming up to a lower level big 10 program, like in a world where like Ryan Walters at Purdue gets abducted by aliens and they have an opening like Jamarcus mm-hmm. Shepard, I think would be an interesting hire there. Um, maybe not Northwestern, but and maybe Indiana, if it couldn't like land a Kurt Signetti, like I, I, I think it would be exciting if a lower level big 10 program took a swing on a guy who's got some pretty good recruiting and development chops at the receiver position. Who's also still pretty young. I think he, I think Jamarcus Shepard is 40, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. No, I like it. I like, I like, again, it's like these guys who have roots up here because cultural fits do matter, but they understand Northern football, no matter where they are now, um, maybe go find them. So I'm going to add another guy like that, uh, which is Alex Golish who is 39 years old. He's the head coach at South Florida. He got that job off of being the offensive coordinator at Tennessee uh, two seasons ago when Tennessee had that great year. Um, He's from Westerville, Ohio, which is the town I'm sitting in right now as I record this, was 
went to Ohio State, was a graduate assistant at Ohio State, and then worked at a lot of northern schools, um, northern Illinois, Toledo, Illinois, Iowa State, and now um, earned his chance to be a head coach before age 40 in the state of Florida. But, you know, USF head coach to whatever any head coach in the big 10, that's not Ohio state or Michigan, like is a, is a reasonable thing. So um, again, yeah. I think like in that, in that group of schools in the North, if, if there would be an opening, I think he would be a strong candidate and it, it makes a lot of sense to bring, bring an Ohio guy home. Yeah. I, I wrote a story a couple of years ago when I was at the athletic, um, it was called recruiting confidential where I just like talked to a bunch of Ohio high school coaches about like, Hey, who do you think recruits your school? Well, who are some of the, or who, or who do you don't think recruits your school? school? Well, who are some of the guys you like? And Alex, Alex his name at the time he was a quarterback's coach, Tennessee. I think um, his name came up a ton. So like mm. high school coaches love that guy, like in rows at a bunch of Midwestern high schools. I think not only in Ohio, that if he ever came up to coach a program in the North, I think he'd have no problem finding, talent um in the backyard of wherever he was okay anybody else on your list yeah um alex atkins the offensive line coach and offensive coordinator at florida state uh, i don't he's he was born in chicago i actually don't know if he was raised in chicago he went to tennessee martin for college so it's possible that he was actually like kind of raised um in the south I, I actually don't know that and i couldn't find the answer to it um but he was born in chicago which is good enough for me he's an excellent offensive line coach i think generally offensive line coaches aren't considered enough or often enough for head coaching jobs. When you like think about what their job is, it's to get five guys working together on the field, but also like manage a room of 17 to 20 players at, at one time. I think that that dovetails nicely. They're trying to run a program and, and guys are considered enough um, when programs are looking for head coaches. So that would excite me about him. But I also think he's a good offensive mind. Um, he's on the younger side too. And he spent his entire coaching career basically in the South. Um, he was at UT Martin, his alma mater, Marshall, Chattanooga, Georgia Southern, Tulane, Charlotte, and now Florida State. Um, but I just think he's a really good coach. I think he's a really good assistant. I'm actually surprised he's not a head coach at this point. I think he's hmm. probably like on the, I think he's on the short list of of like the next guys up to get head coaching jobs. And I would love um, for that to be with a northern program. Love it. Uh, one more guy I'll just throw out there is uh, Charles Huff, who's the head coach at Marshall. Mm -hmm. right now he's from uh denton maryland he uh got the marshall job after being a uh, off of being a position coach at alabama so he certainly has been in the south but from alabama and coached at penn state yep. for a while um so again like knows northern football um was at western michigan in 2013 was a penn state running backs coach and special teams coach from 2014 to 2017 then mississippi state then bama then got the marshall head job i thought you know again michigan state did a, took a nice swing and got jonathan smith like when it was just like hey who should they go after charles huff was a guy to me that i thought would have been worthy of maybe consideration for a job like that maybe that was a little bit of a of a leap too high, but um, seven and six, nine and four, and six and seven at Marshall the last three years. So he was already in the state of West Virginia. It wouldn't be, you know, it's kind of one of our guys anyway. But uh, yeah, but I think he could, I think he could be in a in a position to earn a Big Ten job here in the next couple of years. Yeah, I think he was a guy who was like very highly regarded when he took the Marshall job, and I and I think at the time people probably would have guessed that he would not still be at Marshall. Um, so maybe there's a I don't know something there he needs to improve on. But I think he's a good coach, good recruiter. Um, if I can throw one more name out there quickly, yep. this guy we've talked guy we've talked about in the past, um, Sean Lewis, the former yeah. Colorado offensive coordinator who was 
unceremoniously removed from that position by Deion Sanders for some reason, is now the head coach at San Diego State, former Kent State head coach. I think we thought maybe he'd get the job at Syracuse, but he was also a Dino Babers guy, and maybe that was too much of a continuation of what Syracuse had been doing previously. But I think he's clearly a really good offensive mind with what he did at Kent State um, and as an offensive coordinator before getting that job and um, could certainly elevate any northern program looking to up its offensive game if they wanted to go that route. Okay. All right. So now we can, uh, you know, sometimes you got to throw stuff out there. So then when like one of these nine guys that we mentioned gets hired two years from now, we can go back and clip this out and sound smart. Mm -hmm. So um, I do think it's important. It's not about like predictions necessarily, but laying stuff down so you can, uh, (laughs) so you can be right on occasion later on. No, that's not what it's about. But like you want to, you want to try to predict the future sometimes because the future comes at you fast. And it's it's one of those things I've, I've, there have been things that I've wanted to do in my career and say, oh, I wish I had done that. Or I wish, the thing I've, I always think about Landis is when guys are leaving college and going into the NFL draft, I want to write like on a piece of paper what I think they're going to be like as pros in three years. <laughs> and then like three years down the line, open the envelope. Yeah, on a show and be like, I predicted this guy would be bounced out of the league already, and he's like in the Pro Bowl, <laughs> right? So, um, there, there's some of this like maybe we maybe we should do that maybe, and, and then that way we'd have to stay on the air for three years because we'd be like, well, we have pieces of paper and envelopes. What are you going to do? Cancel us? Yeah, right. It feels like the, a little safety net. The January 30th coaches draft is a 2024 coaches draft is in an envelope. We can't, we have to wait till 2027 at least. And what are we doing? It'd just yeah. be embarrassing for everyone. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll make some predictions and put them in envelopes and see how right or wrong we are. All right. So that's KOTN. We have uh, another show coming this week and we have uh, a lot coming down the line. We hope with a lot of ideas, uh, a lot of support, and um, a lot of juice, man, to try to talk about Northern football uh, in an interesting way. So thanks to everybody for being here. Please tell a friend. And uh, thanks to our producer, Mike Urostowski, for making us look good and sound good. He's Bill Landis. I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Kings of the North. <laughs>